We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 331 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. It is the 12-year anniversary of the Major League regular season debut of Steven Strasburg. June 8th, 2010. Where were you? What was going on in your life in June 2010? The Nationals on June 8th, 2010, beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 5-2 at Nationals Park. Strasburg, two runs in seven innings, 14 strikeouts versus no walks. One of the more amazing nights in Washington, D.C. sports history. And wouldn't you know it, we have major Steven Strasburg news to discuss on this show for June 8th. 2022. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, a DC sports podcast that goes in depth on all four of the big four teams in Washington, DC sports, the Commanders, the Nationals, the Capitals, the Wizards. I also talk Orioles because I know that there remain so many O's fans in the DC area. I also talk Maryland. I also talk Georgetown. Uh, You know, Tuesday, June 7th was the four-year anniversary of the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. We this week have all kinds of anniversaries in DC sports. We also this week have a lot going on with the Commanders. Their final OTA practice this offseason is taking place on Wednesday. We then next week have the mandatory minicamp. We, by the way, still are waiting on whether our Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell will comply with Congress's request that they appear at this congressional hearing on June 22nd on the Commander's Workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, Monday was the deadline for Dan and Roger to answer Congress's request. The only thing that we've heard is this statement from a spokesperson for Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform. The statement came out on Tuesday, quote, the committee is in communication with the NFL and the Washington commanders regarding its request for Mr. Goodell and Mr. Snyder to appear before the committee on June 22nd. End quote. And so we wait. In the meantime, 
We have football to discuss, although we could also discuss politics of our commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, having a grand old time on Twitter over the last few days. Uh, I love it. Twitter Jack. You know, the real Twitter Jack is Jack Dorsey, the co-founder and former CEO of Twitter. I think that I'm going to start calling our Jack, Jack Del Rio, Twitter Jack, with the fire that he has been spewing on Twitter. We have gone from his infamous Bite D's tweet uh, to him over the last few days going at it with people on politics and the like. Twitter Jack, I hope that his commander's defense this coming season is as feisty, as competitive as uh, Twitter Jack is on Twitter. Anyway, next segment, I want to share with you something that I came across on Tuesday afternoon. This something is something that cements a truth that it is time that we all recognize. Carson Wentz last season was an elite deep passer. Yes, our new commander starting quarterback, our new commander's QB1 for all of his perceived and perhaps actual faults and deficiencies. He last season was an elite deep passer. I'll explain shortly. Uh, I have a special guest on the show for you, Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus. Uh, He is ranked current NFL head coaches based on an advanced statistical methodology. We'll get into where our commander's head coach, Rod Rivera, ranks and why. We'll also discuss the truth about how much speed matters at receiver. Uh, Connor has researched that. His findings may surprise you. Uh, I will talk nationals. The big Nats news on Tuesday afternoon. Steven Strasburg will make his 2022 Major League season debut this Thursday evening at the Miami Marlins. So we on Tuesday afternoon got that exciting Nats news. And then we on Tuesday evening saw the Nats season best tying three game winning streak end with a thud via a 12-2 loss at the Marlins. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They on Tuesday night won in blowout fashion, a 9-3 win over the Chicago Cubs at a rainy Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Brent in Northeast DC on a potential nickname for Carson Wentz. Writes Brent, on your show over the years, we've had many nicknames for some of the prominent figures in Washington, D.C. sports. I think of Danny Boy, The Ninja, The old ball coach, RG3, Don Ron, the great eight. I have a feeling we are going to be having quite the Carson Wentz cha-cha-cha in the coming months. The man's going to be featured. The man needs a nickname. I'll give it a few shots. Commander Carson flows alliteration, the first quarterback of the Commanders. C-dubs, kind of an RG3 ripoff using initials. May have been Carson's AIM name back in the day. Yes, as in AOL Instant Messenger. Is he old enough to be in the AOL generation? Yeah, not really. Uh, Wentz Magic, another clear ripoff. Yes, as in Fitzmagic. Uh, Our very own Prince Harry. He's definitely a doppelganger for Prince Harry. Can I put in a request for a Meghan Markle doppelganger? Yes, that would be nice. And then a final nickname from our guy Brent in Northeast D.C., Red Jesus. I mean, he's been given the task of being our savior, might make the Red Rifle jealous down there in New Orleans. Something may come up more organically later, but it's time to get to thinking. Want to hear your thoughts. Uh, Thank you for the email, Brent. So the key to any good nickname is that it is enforced. 
You also want the nickname to be clever. You also want the nickname to be original, if possible, although not every good nickname is original. I am partial to Commander Carson, but I like Commander Carson in an ironic way. Uh, You'll notice that when I use Commander Carson, I use it in a sarcastic way because that is a... I think, a dorky nickname, and it does incorporate a new team name that a lot of people do not like, although I don't think that the name Commanders is so bad, but I may be in the minority on that one. But Commander Carson does have the alliteration, and a running joke now for a lot of people is to call people Commander something. Like, I've seen Dan Snyder referred to as Commander Dan, for instance. So personally, I'm going with Commander Carson. If something else emerges, great. Uh, But, you know, with Commander Carson, it's not like I'm using it often, uh, and I'm not using it uh, in the most serious way. Email from Jim D on Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. Ah, yes, we have had Deshaun Watson news in recent days, including on Monday learning of yet another woman who has filed a civil lawsuit against Watson, raising the number to 24. Yes, 24 civil lawsuits against Watson accusing him of inappropriate sexual conduct during massage sessions. And then on Tuesday afternoon, we got an explosive report from the New York Times. Uh, Writes Jim, hope all is well with you and yours. I'm sure you've seen the tally is now 24 for Deshaun Watson lawsuits. You touched on this months ago, but if it wasn't clear before, it has to be now. The commanders did the right thing backing out. And with each passing day, I'm glad we don't have him on our team. I say this with a heavy heart, too, because Deshaun became one of my absolute favorite players in the league over his first few seasons, but I'm tired of the few people turning a blind eye and squawking alleged. I watched the HBO Real Sports clip, and the emotion displayed in that horrifying account doesn't say alleged. The emotion displayed screams fact. This ain't no conspiracy. Could you imagine if we had this to deal with on top of the heinous scandals and congressional involvement already on our plate? Thanks again for bringing us the best pod in the DMV every morning at 5. Well, thank you for that email, Jim. Yeah, look, I'm not going to be a phony about this. I wanted the commanders in on Deshaun Watson. I wanted the commanders considering trading for Deshaun Watson. But I also very much wanted the commanders doing extreme due diligence on Deshaun Watson. Now, did the commanders ultimately not try hard to trade for Watson because they didn't want him based on all of these civil lawsuits? Or did the commanders ultimately not try hard to trade for Watson because they didn't think that he would waive his no trade clause for them? Uh, We don't know. I think that it's naive to think that the only reason that the commanders bowed out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes is the legal trouble. I think that if Watson very much wanted to be traded to the commanders, uh, they might have traded for him. But as things stand right now, I don't know how you don't feel better about the commanders having not traded for Watson. First of all, there's what the Browns gave up to the Houston Texans. Six draft picks. The Texans sent Deshaun Watson in a 2024 six-round pick to the Browns for six draft picks. A 2022 first-round pick a 2023 first-round pick, a 2024 first-round pick, a 2023 third-round pick, a 2022 fourth-round pick, and a 2024 fourth-round pick. Second of all, there's the contract. The Browns gave Deshaun Watson a new contract, even though he was under contract through the 2025 season, and Watson's contract with the Browns, a five-year, $230 million mega deal that is fully guaranteed and includes a base salary for the 2022 season of just $1 million. 
Watson's base salary for the 2022 season under his previous contract was $35 million. What is one of the results of Watson's base salary for the 2022 season having been drastically reduced? Well, he would lose a lot less money were he to be suspended during the 2022 season. Watson, under his previous contract, would have lost $1.94 million for every game for which he was suspended in the 2022 regular season. Watson, under his new contract, is to lose $55,556 for every game for which he is suspended in the 2022 regular season. And third of all, since the Browns on March 18th agreed with the Texans on the trade for Watson, we have had much more bad Deshaun Watson news come out, including now this latest civil lawsuit. And have you read the details of this latest civil lawsuit? Earmuffs for those who are kids. Uh, This latest plaintiff says that she stopped the massage after Watson got an erection, but that he continued to masturbate in front of her and then ejaculated, getting some on her chest and face. Yeah, as Joe Buck said years ago. That is a disgusting act. Yes, exactly, Joe. Uh, The plaintiff says that she quit massage therapy soon after this happened. Uh, Also, we on Tuesday afternoon had a lengthy article from the New York Times on the Deshaun Watson situation. And how about this passage? Quote, Watson has said publicly that he hired about 40 different therapists across his five seasons in Houston. But the Times reporting found that he booked appointments with at least 66 different women in just the 17 months from the fall of 2019 through the spring of 2021. A few of these additional women, speaking publicly for the first time, described experiences that undercut Watson's insistence that he was only seeking professional massage therapy. One woman who did not sue Watson or complain to the police told the Times, that he was persistent in his requests for sexual acts during their massage, including begging her to put her mouth on his penis. I specifically had to say, no, I can't do that, said the woman who spoke on condition of anonymity to protect her family's privacy. And that's when I went into asking him, what is it like being famous? Like, what's going on? You're about to mess up everything. End quote. So that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. Now, as I always say, just because you are accused of something doesn't mean that you are guilty of that something. But you see, Deshaun Watson hasn't been accused of something. Deshaun Watson has been accused of 24 somethings, just in terms of civil lawsuits. What do you think is more likely, that all 24 of these women are lying, that this is some grand conspiracy against Deshaun Watson, or that maybe just maybe there's truth in what these women are saying. It would be one thing if Deshaun Watson had one accuser or two accusers or three accusers. The guy has 24 accusers. Like, does that not strike you as a lot? (laughs) Does that not strike you as absurd? And think about this too. If 24 different women have all made up these allegations, if these allegations are all lies, are all fake news, 
then Deshaun Watson should countersue all of these women and prove that they're lying. And so far, Watson hasn't countersued these women, and I wouldn't hold your breath on Watson countersuing these women. It's hard to not see him getting suspended by the NFL for at least some of this coming season, if not for the entirety of this coming season. And then when you throw on top of that, that our commanders have their workplace misconduct scandal, yeah, uh, (laughs) I would not feel too bad right now that the commanders did not trade for Deshaun Watson. Well, don't feel bad if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area and are a bit overwhelmed. There's a lot to be thinking about. Competition for homes in the D.C. area is fierce. Inventory is low. When you find the home that you want, what's the right way to go about getting that home? Well, this is where Kellen Hunt comes in. If you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, don't waste your time with someone who doesn't know what he or she is talking about. You need a savvy realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. Get with Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the ultra-competitive D.C. real estate market, visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The D.C. area is a great area, but that also means that buying a home in the D.C. area is competitive. Homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. Kellen Hunt understands the D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer, Get a piece of the action. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. All right, so I, on Tuesday's show, episode 330, talked quite a bit about our commander's starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. I'll have a lengthy piece on him. Uh, the piece was in the Monday morning quarterback column of NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB. I, on Thursday's show, expect to be talking quite a bit about Carson Wentz because the commanders on Wednesday are conducting their final OTA practice of the offseason, not their final practice of the offseason. We do still have the mandatory minicamp next week, but we on Wednesday are having the commander's final OTA practice of the offseason, and I have been told uh, that Wentz will be doing a post-practice press conference. So lots of Carson Wentz content on the Al Galdi podcast this week, including something that I want to make mention of right now. You perhaps have heard me mention that Wentz for the 2021 regular season was number one among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in the Football Outsiders DVOA metric on pass attempts 
of at least 20 air yards. Uh, DVOA, as many of you know, stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average. It may well be the single best efficiency stat in football analytics. And Carson Wentz for the 2021 regular season was number one among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in DVOA on deep passes pass attempts of at least 20 air yards. Well, I on Tuesday afternoon came across something that I had not previously seen. Carson Wentz for the 2021 regular season, it was the number seven deep passer in the NFL based on next-gen stats passing score on deep pass attempts. And next-gen stats defines deep pass attempts as those of at least 20 air yards. So here is another advanced metric that thinks very highly of Carson Wentz as a deep passer last season. Passing score is a metric that ranges from 50 to 99 and factors in a number of advanced stats. Uh, Completion probability, expected yards after catch, expected points, win probability, interception probability or pass outcome probability, uh, predicted yards, and predicted expected points added. There's a lot there. I know. Don't worry about all that goes into passing score. Just know that a lot goes into passing score. And these things that go into passing score are from the NFL's next-gen stats, which is a very sophisticated and high-level operation. So passing score ranges from 50 to 99. Carson Wentz's passing score on deep pass attempts in the 2021 regular season was 93. 99 is as high as you can go. 93 was Carson Wentz's passing score on deep pass attempts in the 2021 regular season. Wentz in the 2021 regular season per next-gen stats on deep pass attempts, 23 of 53 for 797 yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions. Uh, Also, Wentz in the 2021 regular season per next-gen stats was number one among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in expected points added on deep throws. So Carson Wentz in the 2021 regular season quantifiably was an elite deep passer. Not a good deep passer, an elite deep passer. And this is significant, and this isn't getting enough attention, especially considering that Wentz did this despite playing behind one of the worst pass-blocking offensive lines in the NFL. The Indianapolis Colts for the 2021 regular season for Pro Football Focus had the number 30 offensive line in the NFL in terms of pass blocking efficiency. Washington, for comparison's sake, for the 2021 regular season per PFF, had the number six offensive line in the NFL in terms of pass blocking efficiency. So when we talk about Carson Wentz's lone season with the Colts having ended in disastrous fashion with him playing poorly in those two losses over the Colts' final two games of the 2021 regular season. Okay, fine. And when we talk about the leadership questions with Carson Wentz and the coachability questions with Carson Wentz and the commanders being Carson Wentz's third team in three seasons. Okay, fine. All of those concerns are valid. But from this point forward, let it be declared. Let it be known that also for Carson Wentz, in the 2021 regular season, it was him being among the best deep passers in the NFL. He was an elite deep passer in the NFL. And this is not based on like back of your football card stats. This is based on some very good advanced statistics. And this bodes well for our team, the commanders, who have been woeful at generating 
explosive passing plays for years now. Uh, Washington has finished 24th or worse in the NFL in explosive passing play rate per sharp football stats in each of the last four regular seasons, 2018 through 2021. You could argue that this has been the worst thing about Washington offenses over the last four seasons, the lack of explosive passing plays. Well, maybe, just maybe, uh, Washington not being good in the explosive passing play department is about to change, and Carson Wentz will be the primary reason. We shall see. Up next, much more on the Commanders. Where does Ron Rivera rank among NFL head coaches during his 11 seasons as an NFL head coach? Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus has just come out with a ranking of NFL head coaches during Ron's time as an NFL head coach. Connor is going to join me straight ahead. We'll discuss where Ron ranked and why, and a lot more. Well, as we all know, uh, buying food isn't nearly as fun as eating food. However, HelloFresh makes buying food easy and affordable and makes eating food even more enjoyable. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost with inflation. And try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh, and we love it. Uh, We've had a number of HelloFresh meals. The sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry. The Monterey Jack unfried chicken. The pub-style shepherd's pie. The saucy pork burrito bowls. The Italian chicken. The Southwest beef with pasta. I could go on and on. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. Heck, even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. Usually, if it's not a peanut butter sandwich, he's not interested. But he likes HelloFresh, and I think that you will too. Also, HelloFresh has a great app, and you, with the app, can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We are, of course, entering season three of Ron Rivera as Washington head coach. He's gone 14 and 19 over his first two regular seasons as Washington head coach. He's made it very clear that this coming season needs to be a step forward season for the commanders. Now, of course, evaluating Ron as Washington head coach isn't as simple as how he's done as a head coach because his duties as head coach also include him running player personnel. Uh, He is the head coach in a coach-centric approach. He is, in effect, president of football operations and head coach, even though his title is only 
head coach. Uh, that said, there was a really interesting piece that just came out from Pro Football Focus ranking Ron Rivera and other current NFL head coaches. Uh, the piece is a ranking of current NFL head coaches based on the results of the last 11 NFL seasons, 2011 through 2021. Now, obviously, if you just became an NFL head coach, then you don't qualify for these rankings. But the time frame of these rankings is perfect for Ron Rivera because he was hired as Carolina Panthers head coach in January 2011. And he has been an NFL head coach in each of these 11 seasons, 2011 through 2021, either for Carolina or Washington. And what the rankings are based on is how many wins in a 17-game season each head coach would have with a league average roster. Uh, This is not an easy study to conduct, but this study has been conducted. And by the man who joins us now, Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus. You can follow Connor on Twitter at ConnorMCQ5. Hey, Connor, how are you? Pretty all right. I got some good news on Twitter this morning, so we're feeling, uh, feeling pretty good. Yeah, your rankings became quite the thing on NFL Network's Good Morning Football on Tuesday morning. That was pretty cool. Uh, So ranking NFL head coaches is never easy. Before we get to the results of your rankings, explain, if you would, how you went about doing the rankings. Yeah, so so the main issue with this, of course, is one, if you accurately uh, accurately assess player, how good the player is at every position, independent of coaching, which is difficult, uh, and then you have to try and pick a number which describes how good a coach is or not, uh, which again is very difficult. Um, especially if you try and map that to wins or losses specifically, because then, like you know, the, a difference the wink and that has nothing to do with how good the coach is. So what I did is I to approximate pl- how good the player is, um, I use salary numbers um, as the percent of the cap when they signed. Um, the logic behind this is if I had a quarter, if I had two quarterbacks in the same offseason, one signs a fifty million dollar contract and the other signs a thirty contract. The one that signed fifty million dollars is probably better. Uh, so th- that was just the logic we applied across the board. And then for our target variable, it's points scored and points allowed. Uh, so basically, the model will come up with an idea of okay, this is get based on these salaries. This is how many points we think this offense will score, and based on that. Uh, then we can approximate how many points that coach scored, how many points that coach added. And then from there, we can approximate, uh, there's this thing called Pythagorean wins. Uh, so where if we assume a coach is coaching an average team, then we can approximate how many wins they would have based on that. Okay. And injuries are factored into the rankings, correct? Yeah. So injuries are factored in as who gets determined as a starter is determined by the number of snaps. So, you know, the quarterback who takes the most snaps in a season is considered the starter. And of course, this does run into issues where, say, Really, Fran Rivera, if Cam Newton misses three games in the season, I don't really see that, which becomes an issue. Um, but for the most part, this is a good enough approximation. Okay, so even with the caveat that no ranking system is perfect, the results of your rankings, for the most part, make sense. Uh, Bill Belichick came out number one. John Harbaugh came out number two. Andy Reid came out number three. Now, there are a few guys who stand out in terms of uh, probably being a bit too low. Sean McVay is only number 11. Sean McDermott is only number 13. Uh, We don't arrive at Ron Rivera until number 18. Uh, Now, you group the head coaches into various tiers. You have Ron in the tier of average coaches. Uh, You have him in a 17-game season with a league average roster having 8.8 wins and 8.2 losses. That actually doesn't sound inaccurate. Uh, What do you make of how your study played out for Ron? Yeah, so with Ron specifically, um, 
when you know when we imagine Coach Rivera and how he came into the league, uh, he was a linebacker and he was a D coordinator for the Chargers for a while, and the linebackers coach there. So when we think of Ron Rivera, we think that he's the, the stalwart defensive coach, um, and his offensive numbers were fine. You know, he I think he I have it right in front of me. I think he was the 16th ranked offensive head coach by this metric, adding 18 points a season. You know, I, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, yeah, of course, he had Cam, who was you know while healthy, brilliant. Uh, but you know, I don't think I'm upsetting Washington fans by saying the offense has not been you know uh, of particular note. I think it's been fine, you know, in his time as Washington. That part I feel good about. Uh, the defensive one is a little iffy. I haven't ranked as the 19th of, of the 26 eligible coaches. Um, so really, the issue with that, you know, he had these really good defenses in Carolina, and his defenses have been strong in uh, Washington as well. But in Carolina, defenses were all really well paid. Uh, Luke Keighley was the best linebacker in football. Thomas Davis was one of the best linebackers in football. Uh, Kwan Short was one of the best paid uh, defensive linemen in football. And even you look in Washington, they have four defensive linemen. The kid from the Kentucky, uh, the linebacker, he was the first-round pick last year. So he has had good defenses throughout his career, but what the model is seeing, the model is seeing that all these players are, are well-paid, uh, so you should get good results, and he has. That's really what's going on there. We're talking with Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus on his ranking of NFL head coaches. The commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, came in at number 18. You write regarding Ron, quote, despite Rivera learning as a defensive coordinator early in his coaching career, his defensive success as a head coach appears to be largely the product of his team's talent levels, determining how much of a part he played in developing that talent is outside of this article's scope. End quote. Uh, So again, you can see, look, there's only so much that we can ascertain with this study. Uh, But, you know, with Ron, I mean, I think that where he actually ends up landing is in accordance with how a lot of people view him. He's not a great head coach, but he's also not a terrible head coach. So given what he has to work with, he'll do what that talent commands should be done with it. Yeah, and you know, and the specific ranking, it's 18. But I mean, he's well within the same range as coaches like Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott's probably low. <laughs> Lovey Smith and Kevin Spansky and Arthur Smith in Atlanta. So you know, like he is even considering the uncertainty in this model because you know, picking that Ron Rivera would specifically win 8.8 games with an average NFL team. That's you know a bit rich to say that specifically, but he's well within range. Other coaches, which we largely believe to be pretty good, to okay. Which I think, you know, I think would be a fair assessment of history. As I mentioned earlier, Rod Rivera is the commander's head coach in a coach-centric approach. So he's not just the team's head coach. He also runs player personnel. In the NFL, what do you think matters more, player personnel or coaching players? Like, obviously, you want to be great in both areas, but which area to you is most important? Personally, I'm of the opinion that human development tends to be, uh, if not more important, at least more overlooked. Because even analytically, you look how different teams do in the draft, and really, you know, teams will have will have a couple really good years, but overall, they all do about the same in the long run. You know, maybe some teams can attract better free agents for whatever reason, but in terms of like getting talent, the main way you get talent on the roster, it's about even. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, a lot of the differentiation comes from either your superstars or from being able to develop that mid-tier talent that those solid stars and your depth players. I think that's where teams really tend to differentiate themselves. All right. Well, I have you. I want to ask you about something that you wrote for Pro Football Focus last month. Headline, examining the effect of fast wide receivers on NFL offenses. The commanders right now have a number of fast receivers. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, 
Jahan Dodson, Diami Brown, all of those guys had impressive 40 times to varying degrees. How much does speed at receiver matter for an NFL offense? Yeah, the issue with talking about how speed affects wide receivers is that we need to make a distinction between how it affects the individual and how it affects the offense level. So how it affects the player level, I think we can safely say like speed does matter. You know, uh, Tyreek Hill would not be Tyreek Hill if he ran a 4-4. You know, uh, it, so all like how it affects the way a player can win things he is specifically able to do, yes, his speed is important to determining that. However, on this offense, um, what my article specifically investigated is how that affects uh, an offense's ability to stretch the field. And empirically, you find that just because a team has a pretty fast wide um, by this, I did it by the average 40 time of the top three wide receivers, um, teams don't really stretch the field more often just because they have uh, fast wide receivers and they're not necessary because they have when they do because they have fast wide receivers um so really what the what the finding of this article is is uh having speed does not necessarily mean threats i believe having vertical threats on your on your offense is important because you know schematically we know that that this keeps the same makes the uh this makes the underneath passing game easier this makes rpos easier this makes screens easier this probably makes the running game easier uh but having speed does not mean you will be able to stretch the field um so it so I wouldn't go as far as to say as it, as it does not matter. I would say that speed does not necessarily mean you're going to be able to stretch, stretch the field. Yeah, so ultimately stretching the field is a function of what? I guess route running and separation and scheme more so than actual speed at receiver? Yeah, I mean, all, all those things, you know, there's lots of different ways to scheme the cast. I'll put it this way. It can be scheme. It can be route running. It can be at your quarterback and throw it 70 yards downfield. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the um, that speed is the way to do it. All right, man. Interesting stuff. Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus. Uh, Connor, thanks so much for your time and all the best to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right, up next, I'm talking Nationals. Big news for the Nats. Steven Strasburg will make his 2022 Major League debut on Thursday evening. I'll get into that. And yes, I also will get into another blowout loss for the Nats this season, a 12-2 loss at the Miami Marlins on Tuesday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, for the Nationals on Tuesday, there was good news and there was bad news. Uh, The good news came on Tuesday afternoon. Steven Strasburg will make his 2022 Major League debut on Thursday evening. The bad news came on Tuesday night. The Nats got smashed at the Miami Marlins 12-2 in Game 1 of a three-game series. Uh, Let's start with the good news. Uh, Steven Strasburg finally is going to be making his 2022 Major League debut. Nats manager Davey Martinez, in a pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon, made this official. Uh, He announced that Strasburg will be the Nats starting pitcher on Thursday evening for Game 3 of this series at the Marlins. Uh, Strasburg ended up making three minor league rehab assignment starts. He on Monday threw a bullpen session. All went well, and so now he is good to go, and We'll see what happens. Uh, You know, he has not pitched in a major league game since June 1st, 2021. His last two seasons have been a nightmare. Strasburg in the 2020 regular season made just two starts. He, on August 26th, 2020, underwent surgery to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand. Strasburg in the 2021 regular season made just five starts. He, on July 28th, 2021, underwent surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, This season is Strasburg's age 33 season. This is the third season of a seven-year, $245 million contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019. Very few things have gone well for Steven Strasburg since he won MVP of the 2019 World Series. He was epic in that postseason. He was tremendous, really, overall in that 2019 season. He got the mega money contract in December 2019 off, remember, having opted out of his previous mega money contract. And the contract right now is a complete disaster. Again, this is year three of a seven-year, $245 million contract. Strasburg. Honestly, it's hard to be optimistic about Steven Strasburg moving forward. He's coming back from maybe the single worst pitching ailment there is, thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS. I mean, this is what truly wrecked the career of Matt Harvey. Strasburg also has a substantial injury history beyond TOS. So even if he overcomes TOS, you still have to worry about something else going wrong for Strasburg. And Strasburg now is well into his 30s. Uh, Like I said, this is his age 33 season, but hey, he's not going anywhere, okay? That contract makes him untradeable. And so all that you can do as a Nats fan is hope for the best. And I'm rooting for the guy. Uh, This was Davey Martinez during his pregame session with reporters on Tuesday afternoon on Steven Strasburg. Steven will pitch on Thursday. Um, So uh, he said he felt good. Um, So we're going to. He's going to open up for us on Thursday. So um, another guy that's you know basically his opening day. So we're excited about that. How many innings? How many pitches? What are we looking at? Well, I'm not I'm not going to put any limitations on him. You know we'll see we'll see how far we can take him. Uh, we'll keep a close eye on him. But um, th- this is one of, one of the reasons why we wanted him to go through what he did. 
and to make sure that he's fully ready. So uh, his last outing, I know he threw like 83 pitches in six innings. Um, so, you know, but, you know, my biggest thing is to watch his high leverage, what, you know, see what he's going through, see how many pitches he throws each inning, and then we'll go from there. As, as you guys were evaluating him during the rehab starts, what was the most important thing in your mind? Was it the pitch totals, the innings, how he looked, how he felt? What was sort of the determining factors in your mind? Yeah, it was a combination of everything. But my biggest thing was was uh, his mechanics um, and honing in on his mechanics a little bit. And, and they, they were really – his last two outings, they were really, really sharp. Um, and he, he was able to get back to uh, to where we felt like he was uh, prior. You know, I made some adjustments, but you know, we felt like hey, he he could get back. You know, if something goes awry on the next pitch, he figured it out and got right back on and threw strikes. So um, he was good. The last two outings, he was very good. So uh, he's excited. I know we're excited to have him back. So he'll be uh, on the mound Thursday. Give, give, given how the starting pitching is young and struggle a little bit at points of the season, how good is it to have a guy like him back in the rotation? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, he he he's our guy, right? I mean, we everybody knows that. So, um, it's a little it'll be a little uplifting for the guys that knowing that he's pitching on Thursday. So, like I said, there's no, um, you know, I'm just gonna go out there and watch watch him do what he does and see see how he does and see how far he can take us. How did you tell Stephen that he was cleared, and what was his reaction? Uh, we talked. Uh, we talked to Cincinnati. Um, you know, we wanted him to get through his last bullpen, um, but he said he felt good. Uh, and I, s- I said, "Tell me your thoughts." And you know, he told me. He said, I- "I'm ready. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to pitch uh, this week." So uh, we penciled him for Thursday. What, so, was, what was it like as the manager hearing those words come out of his mouth that he's ready? Awesome. And like I said, and I told him, hey, uh, for what it's worth, I'm proud of you. I know this has been a, a difficult time for you, but um, you worked your butt off to get back. So, uh, you know, just go out there and have fun. Now, Steven Strasburg coming back means that someone in the Nats rotation needs to go bye-bye. Uh, that could be as simple as this kid, Evan Lee, who the Nats recalled from A Harrisburg last Wednesday morning. But you now really do have to wonder if the odd man out in the Nats rotation just might be Yoan Adone. Uh, Adone got destroyed in this 12-2 loss at the Marlins on Tuesday night. Uh, the Nats this season now are 21-36, and second worst record in the National League. But the Nats this season have by far the worst run differential in the NL at minus 87. Yeah, the Nats this season have been outscored overall by 87 runs. Uh, Adone on Tuesday night, eight runs. In three innings, Uh, he gave up seven hits, two homers, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded two strikeouts. He threw 58 pitches, 34 strikes versus 24 balls. Uh, Adone actually tossed a perfect bottom of the first, but Adone in the bottom of the second gave up five runs. Uh, He gave up a one-out full count opposite field single to Avisail Garcia to right field. Adone gave up a one-out pinch opposite field single to Brian De La Cruz through the right side of the infield. Adone issued a two-out five-pitch walk of Miguel Rojas. Adone gave up a two-out first pitch opposite field RBI single to Nick Fortes to right field for a 1-0 Marlins lead. Adone then gave up the big blow, a two-out grand slam to Jazz Chisholm Jr. to dead center field on a 3-0 pitch for a 5-0 Marlins lead. Now, the Nats center fielder on Tuesday night, Lane Thomas, did have a chance at a home run saving catch, but he missed on the attempted catch. That's a hard catch to make. Uh, Adone did then toss a scoreless bottom of the third, but even in that inning, Adone gave up a leadoff ground rule double 
to Jorge Soler to left field. And then Adone, in what ended up being a five-run Marlins fourth, allowed three runs. Adone issued a four-pitch leadoff walk of John Birdie. Adone gave up an opposite field single to Miguel Rojas to right field. Adone gave up a first-pitch three-run homer to Nick Fortes to left field on a hanging breaking ball for an 8-0 Marlins lead. And then that was it. Davey Martinez yanked Adone from the game. So, Yoan Adon now this season, 12 starts, ERA of 695, and a whip of 176. Adon has been worse than Patrick Corbin has been, and that's saying something, because Corbin has been bad. Uh, Corbin this season has an ERA of 671, does have the same whip that Adon has, 176. Now, Adon is young. This is his age 23 season. Adon has flashed. I mean, I go back to something like a 1-0 win over the Arizona Diamondbacks in Nationals Park on April 19th. Adon was an ad starting pitcher in that game. Six into third scoreless innings, five strikeouts. And he, in that game, became the first starting pitcher for the Nats this season to complete at least six innings in a game. But the overall results for Yohan Adon this season have not been good. And I don't think that it is unreasonable at all to suggest that at this point, he would be better off uh, honing his craft in the minors. Uh, Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Yoan Adon. We fall behind some hitters, you know. Um, you know, he got through the first inning really well, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, Garcia comes up and he falls behind him. And I think that inning fell behind three batters, and those are, you know, those, you know, when you got the top of the lineup coming like that and you got bases loaded, you fall behind a guy that's a pretty good hitter. Um, you know, the guy hits a home run. So, uh, you know, it was just a, you know, a tough break for him because the first inning I thought, you know, this is going to be a good day for him. But um, like I said, when you fall behind some some of those hitters, uh, you know, you get to start making pitches and throw the ball over the plate. I mean, you're going to get hit. How are you seeing him handle his struggles right now? Because the numbers obviously are, are going to show what they are. How, how has he dealt with that, do you think? Yeah, he's good. I mean, he's working. He works hard. He's out, he's out there with uh, Hickey uh, in between starts and working on different things. Um, you know, we, we changed some things in his mechanics that he feels a lot better. Like I said, he's throwing more consistent strikes at times. Um, today was just uh, you know just one of those days where, like I said, he fell behind. He got When he got 3-0 to uh, Chisholm, you know, he had to throw, throw a, a strike, and um, you know, Chisholm beat him right there. So, um, you know, he's just got to keep working. I'm going to tell him all the time, you know, you know, the one thing I talked to him a little bit ago about is a changeup. He didn't throw any changeups today, and uh, we, he needs to mix that in. You know, we talk about it a lot, but he needs to start throwing changeups more, and he, and he hasn't done it. Why do you think that is that he hasn't been throwing the changeup? I think either he, you know, I talked to him and he just doesn't feel, you know, like he could throw it when he where he wants to. And I said it's just you don't have to throw it really where you want to. You just got to throw it down. You know, it's a it's a good pitch for you. We see him working on the bullpen, and it's, and it's a you know it's it's a good pitch. So um, he just got to learn how to throw it. I mean, he's really got to go out there and use all three of his pitches. Um, now, when you're going to eliminate as a hitter, when you can eliminate a pitch because they know you're not going to throw it, and all of a sudden you got a fastball and you got a curveball, and your curveball is not really that effective like it was tonight. You know, I mean, he threw he threw some curveballs, but one he left up for the home run, another one, a few other ones he just you know threw short. So, um, the changeup, you know, the changeup is another pitch that he could use. 
All right, so another rough start for Johanna Doan on Tuesday night. Evan Lee on Tuesday night did pitch in relief. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be Lee's role. Heck, Lee could end up being sent down to the minors. We don't know, but Evan Lee on Tuesday night did look pretty good. One and two-thirds scoreless innings, two strikeouts. He entered the game in the bottom of the seventh with runners on first and second and one out and sandwiched two strikeouts around a single. So he looked pretty good. I mean, this was, you know, garbage time in this game, but still one and two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts. That's good. Uh, also looking pretty good was Jordan Weems. He tossed one into third scoreless innings with three strikeouts, though he did give up two singles and a walk. The Nats reliever who did not look good on Tuesday night was Andres Machado. He allowed four runs in two innings. Machado in a five-run Marlins fourth allowed two runs. He gave up a one-out opposite field double to Garrett Cooper off the base of the right center field wall on an 0-2 pitch, then gave up a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to Jorge Soler, to center field for a 10-0 Marlins lead. And Machado, in a two-run Marlins fifth, issued a two-out seven-pitch walk of Nick Fortes, then gave up another homer, a two-out first pitch, two-run homer to Jazz Chisholm Jr. to right field for a 12-0 Marlins lead. Uh, We have had some transactions regarding the Nats bullpen in recent days. Uh, The Nats on Monday afternoon did place reliever Victor Urano on the 15-day injured list with left knee inflammation. And the Orioles on Tuesday afternoon claimed reliever Austin Voth off outright waivers from the Nats, who had designated him for assignment on May 31st. Uh, the Nats offense on Tuesday night in this 12-2 loss at the Marlins, uh, just the two runs. Now, the Nats did have eight hits, and four of the hits were extra base hits, a homer and three doubles to go with four singles. Nats did work just two walks, but did go three of 11 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Juan Soto as an ad starting right fielder, a number three batter, another underwhelming game, 0 for 2 with a walk and a hit by pitch. Josh Bell as an ad starting first baseman and number five batter, rough game for him, 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left four met on base. Capert Ruiz as an ad starting catcher, a number seven batter, 0 for 4. Cesar Hernandez as an ad starting second baseman, a number one batter, 0 for 4. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez as an ad starting left fielder, a number six batter, 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. The offensive bright spots for the Nats on Tuesday night were three guys, really. Luis Garcia, Lane Thomas, and Nelson Cruz. Uh, Luis Garcia was the Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter. Another good offensive game for him. Two for four with a solo homer and a single. Garcia in the Nats one run sixth, a leadoff homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 12-1. But this homer was some shot of projected 442 feet per stat cast. Impressive pop from Luis Garcia, and he in the top of the seventh had a two at first pitch, uh, pseudo infield single up the middle to the shallow center field grass. Lane Thomas on Tuesday night was an ad starting center fielder and number two batter, as once again, Victor Robles did not start. Robles has not started a game for the Nats uh, since this past Friday night. Thomas on Tuesday night, two for five with a double and an infield single. Thomas in the top of the first, a one-out infield single on a ball up the middle, and Thomas in an ad's one-run eighth, a leadoff double, to deep left center field on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Thomas has looked good lately. And Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night as an ad starting DH and number four batter, one for three with an RBI double and a walk in the top of the sixth, drew a two-out five-pitch walk. And Cruz in the Nets, one run eighth, a one-out opposite field RBI double down the right field line to cut the Nats deficit to 12-2. Also, Michael Franco on Tuesday night did have a double. He was an ad starting third baseman, a number seven batter, went one for three. He in the top of the seventh had a two-out opposite field double to the right center field gap. Uh, Also, we on Tuesday night 
did have the Nats regular season debut of A. Ray Adrianza, who came off the bench. So the Nats on Tuesday afternoon reinstated Adrianza from the 60-day injured list. Uh, Adrianza had not played at all in this 2022 regular season due to a left quadriceps strain that he suffered in an exhibition game on March 31st. The Nats signed Adrianza this past March as a free agent. This season is his age 32 season. He spent last season with the Atlanta Braves. He's not a guy who's a very good hitter, but he is a pretty good defender, and he is very versatile defensively. And this is the big thing with A. Ray Adrianza. This is what you call a super utility player. Uh, A. Ray Adrianza in his major league career has logged significant innings at shortstop, third base, second base, right field, left field, at first base. The Nats, especially last season, lacked defensive versatility. Uh, they very much have that here in A. Ray Adrianza. He is certainly not an everyday player. Like I said, he's not a great hitter, but he can play all over the diamond. And the Nats have had way too few players like this in recent seasons. Heck, A. Ray Adrianza on Tuesday night in his Nats regular season debut played both left field and third base. That tells you all you need to know when it comes to what A. Ray Adrianza is capable of doing with his defensive versatility. Game two for the Nats at the Marlins is on Wednesday evening at 6.40. Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, we on Tuesday afternoon had big news in Major League Baseball. The Los Angeles Angels fired manager Joe Madden. Uh, Joe Madden is the mentor of Nationals manager Davey Martinez, who served as Madden's bench coach for years 2008 through 2014 with the Tampa Bay Rays in 2015 through 2017 with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Orioles on Tuesday night began a two-game series with the Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and the O's hammered the Cubs 9-3 as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Joe Angel. So the Angels on Tuesday afternoon fired Joe Madden. And Joe Angel on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast has the O's back in the win column. Uh, the O's this season now are 24-33. and 33. Very good night for the Orioles offense on Tuesday night. Nine runs, nine hits, five homers. Two doubles and two singles. O's worked two walks. Only went one for two with runners in scoring position. But when you hit home runs, it don't matter uh, that you get many at-bats with runners in scoring position. Although at-bats with runners in scoring position always are nice. But another good game for Austin Hayes on Tuesday night. He was the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter. Two for four with a solo homer and an RBI double. Uh, Hayes in an Orioles two-run third had a first pitch RBI double down the left field line. Hayes in an Orioles one-run fifth had a two-out solo homer to the second deck in left field in the midst of a pouring rain. This was the longest home run of the Orioles' 2022 season so far. The homer went a projected 464 feet per stat cast. That was some shot by Austin Hayes. And yes, I said second deck in left field. So the homer easily cleared the Great Wall of Baltimore. Uh, Austin Hayes is having some season. His OPS for the season now 
is at 826. But did you know that Trey Mancini's OPS for the season now is at 822? Mancini is right there with Austin Hayes. What a surge that Trey Mancini is in the midst of here. He on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, one for four with a solo homer. Uh, Mancini in an Orioles two-run first had a solo homer to left center field. Uh, that homer went a projected 426 feet per stat cast. And that homer followed a leadoff homer in that Orioles two-run first by Cedric Mullins. Uh, Mullins on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, one for four with a solo homer. Uh, he and that two-run first had a leadoff homer to right field. That was Cedric Mullins' first home run since May 10th. Uh, he is not having a good season so far. You hope Lykeke gets going at some point. Maybe this home run gets him going. Who knows? But even with the homer, Cedric Mullins' OPS for the season is just 677. Uh, Jorge Mateo homered on Tuesday night. Jorge Mateo as the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter, one for three with a three-run homer. Mateo in the Orioles' three-run second had a one-out three-run homer to left field over, yes, the Great Wall of Baltimore. Uh, that homer going a projected 400 feet per stat cast. You know, Mateo this season only has an OPS of 592. That's not good, but he has been outstanding defensively. Entering games on Tuesday, Jorge Mateo, number one in the majors in defensive wins above replacement per baseball reference at 1.5. This is among all players in the majors, not just shortstops. Jorge Mateo entering games on Tuesday, number one in the majors in defensive war per baseball reference. Uh, biggest negative for the O's on Tuesday night was that Kyle Bradish struggled again. Uh, Bradish lasted for just four and two-thirds innings. He allowed two runs, gave up four hits, two homers, and two singles. He issued five walks. He did record five strikeouts, but all of this ended up driving up his pitch count to quite a level. Uh, Kyle Bradish on Tuesday night over his four and two-thirds innings threw 105 pitches. That is a jaw-dropping pitch total for four and two-thirds innings. 105 pitches, 60 strikes versus 45 balls. Uh, Kyle Bradish now this season, eight starts, an ERA of 645. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Kyle Bradish. Yeah, of course, I wanted him to try to get through five there. The pitch count got to a really uncomfortable number for me. Just that there was a foul ball war there with uh, wisdom, unfortunately, three, two, and then three or four foul balls. And got his number to a point where I didn't feel good about <laughs> keeping him in the game. And um, But yeah, I mean, it, we had a six-run lead, and I'm trying to get the guy to get through five and you know Contreras jumped on the first pitch of the, of the inning but then he had then he got two fairly quick outs and uh, I think you know another lesson learned a little bit for for him just got to try to keep your pitch count a little lower and I thought he struggled with command early early in the game a lot of fastball up misses breaking ball was kind of below the zone quite a bit um, we, we uncharacteristically walked seven tonight so that was we haven't been doing doing that very often um, but Hopefully next time we'll get through that. So the O's recalled Bradish from AAA Norfolk on April 29th. Him being called up to the majors was big news. And he was good in two of his first three major league starts, including a 5-3 win at the St. Louis Cardinals on May 10th. Bradish in that game, two runs in seven innings, 11 strikeouts. 
versus no walks. But since then, his season really has unraveled. Now, you know, he's a younger pitcher. Uh, This season is his first major league season. This is his age 25 season. So he is a bit older as a prospect. Uh, Bradish was taken by the Los Angeles Angels in the fourth round of the 2018 MLB draft out of New Mexico State. The O's got Bradish in December 2019 as part of the trade package from the Angels for starting pitcher Dylan Bundy. Uh, But Bradish had been really good uh, this season for AAA Norfolk. Three starts, ERA of 120, whip of 0.73, strikeouts per nine innings of 10.2. Now, I said three starts, small sample size for Bradish at Norfolk. Uh, You know, he needs more work. I mean, that's pretty clear here. I don't think sending him down right now is the way to go, but at some point, you do have to become open to that here. Uh, But he's in the midst of a five-star rut, just during which he has not been close to the guy who he was, especially in that outing at the Cardinals. I mean, May 10th is less than a month ago, but that feels like five years ago right now with the way that things are going for Kyle Bradish. But he's young, and he has only made eight major league starts. Game two for the O's against the Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday's show, episode 332, will be a big show in terms of commander's content. We on Wednesday have the commander's final OTA practice of the offseason. Now, we do have the mandatory minicamp next week, but Wednesday's practice, the final OTA practice, for the commanders this offseason. The practice is open to the media and expected to speak to reporters after the practice is commanders quarterback Carson Wentz and presumably commanders head coach Rod Rivera, among others. So we'll have a lot to discuss. Also on Thursday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Game two for the Nats at the Miami Marlins is on Wednesday evening at 6.40. Game two for the O's against the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. That is a disgusting act.